Today on The Ticker Tapes, we hear from Amber Jeffrey about the shocking phone call that changed the course of her life. I finally had found my outlet for my grief. Mm. I finally found my way to express it. And that's what I was struggling with those three years. I did not know how to express it or articulate what was going on in my head and my heart. And so then, therefore, I was coming out with an anger. From the British Heart Foundation, I'm Ruth Huntman. And on the ticker tapes, we hear from people living with heart and circulatory conditions. In this episode... 23-year-old Amber talks about how battling her own grief set her on an unexpected path to inspiring others. So Amber, you were 19 when life suddenly changed in a way you could never have foreseen. Can you just tell me a little bit about what life was like before that awful day? So before, yeah, that dreadful day when I was 19, um, life was very sweet, to be honest. So I was working. I landed a job in the airport where I wanted to be. It was a step closer to the career that I wanted to be. I passed my driving test. It was all, May was a fantastic month, the month before mum passed away. And um, yeah, I kind of, it definitely was a case of um, it's too good to be true because lo and behold, the 25th of June came around, didn't it? <laughs> well, can you describe a little bit about what your mum was like and, and what the relationship was between you guys? Oh, she was, she was uh, your typical mum, but she was like just a proper in-your-face type of mum. <laughs> it was, if I was going out, could be going out the same people that I'd be going out every day with. Where are you going? Who are you with? What time are you back? And it used to do my head in. But I look back now and I think all she did was just care. She was so loving. She was... Um, we used to call her like a mad a mad hatter, but she loved hard at the people in her life. She loved deeply and was so so selfish sometimes. Where it got to a point where I thought, I don't know how this woman has enough hours in the day to be giving herself to all these different people in her life, but somehow she always made it work. She was working for charity and um, Thames Hospice Charity. She sounds like a proper character. And was leading up to this awful day, was she fit and healthy? She was, yeah. So mum was 51. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there was, in our in our minds, there was no, there was nothing that could really pinpoint that this was going to happen. And she really had a relatively healthy life. She didn't smoke. She drank occasionally, just as, you know, any of us would do, have a nice drink of friends or whatever. She walked our dog like two times a day. So she was always out being active. And her job in itself was pretty active too. So when this happened, it was just so strange. And we just were like, what do you mean she's had a heart attack? Tell me how you received that news. It was It was a really shocking phone call, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Yeah. So yeah, going back to the 25th of June, um, 2016, I was uh, freshly like 19, about a month in, and I was staying at my partner's house. And I got a like Facebook messenger um, from one of my mum's colleagues. And she said, Amber, you need to call the police. It's about your mum. And she just said, just give me your number. So I did. And by this point, I was I wasn't like, I was a little bit panicked, but not, not mega. I, I didn't think the worst. Mm. I don't know. It was weird. And I didn't think health. And so, so then I gave her my number 
and then yeah obviously an unknown id starts calling me and i pick up and i go hello like what's going on i said hello i'm jeffrey and i said yeah can you just tell what's going on please um i think i believe it was a pco yeah it's like a public community of that and um he's like so don't worry your mum's had a heart attack like yeah of course i'm going to worry and so i just remember yeah, my partner looking at me like go on t- what's going on tell me what's happened and i just I couldn't hear the rest of the phone call of what he was saying to me. I could just hear ringing in my ears and just the tears started coming and the panic. And I was like, oh my God, I've got to get through to my brother and trying to call him. He's not answering. I tried my sister and I finally got through to her. She was just distraught. And, because all we know is she's had a heart attack. We don't know what state she's in. We don't know if she's conscious. We don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And so... So I get through to my brother. And so after I spoke to the PCO, he said, we're going to send a car to come and get you and bring you to Wexham Park Hospital. So she'd been on her way to work. And what had happened? Someone had found her slumped in her car. So, yeah, she was on her way to work. Normal, a normal Friday on her way to work. And so, yeah, she normally used to, there's a post office near her work. And she would normally stop off there to go to the um, cash machine and uh, cash out for her lunch that day. And we don't know if she even got out the car and got the cash and got back in or she was just still in the car. Yeah, the way she was found is she was just sort of slumped in her car seat and I think a, by chance, like a by a bystander walked past and a PCO walked past her patrolling and they both found her. We pres- we think she was left for about like 15 minutes. Very, very critical for the brain obviously to be starved of oxygen for that amount of time. I think anything over five is like um, very lethal. So, yeah, that's how she was found. So she'd had a heart attack and then that apparently led to a cardiac arrest because she'd stopped breathing. Yeah, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so then I'm waiting here at my partner's house to get picked up. This officer comes, we go there. And, yeah, from, from his from his place to the Wexham Park Hospital, it's not that far, but it felt just like a lifetime. And I remember just walking in and just being like, I have no idea where to go. No one's told me where she is. And then I was guided. Police officer guided me through to, like, the family waiting room. And I opened the door. My brother was already, I hadn't spoken to my brother at all throughout this point. Um, I just kind of left it to my sister-in-law because she had gotten through to him. And I remember just, yeah, opening the door, seeing him and just falling into his lap. And we, so then we, we weren't able to see her at this point. They were obviously stabilising her and, and treating her. But with probably the space of an hour, like the word got round amongst mum's friends and, and this little tiny waiting room in, in Wexham Park Hospital, which is like we were all like having to squat on the floor. And and then the doctor, she came and she's like, you know, you can, you can come and see her now. And there was this big cornered off room with a big curtain there and we were heading towards there. And I remember just feeling in the moment that this room isn't good. Um, I remember them whipping back the curtain and just seeing the chaos in there. Something out of like a like a casualty scene of just these like doctors and nurses just running around like madness. And I was just my mum laid on this bed with all these wires in her, all these tubes up her nose and her mouth, obviously unresponsive. And just look at her, me and my brother, and I was just like, I felt, I felt sick. Like, that is not our mum. And then the doctor's talking to me and trying to tell me things. I'm like, it's just one ear and out the other. 
And we're just looking at her and stroking her hair. And then, it, yeah, it all got too much and just had to go. At that point, did you fear the worst? In my own heart of hearts, I knew that she was going to die anyway. Wow. Um, and then when I saw her, just every bit of hope in me just just died then and then. I, and I, I was like, no, Amber, just set yourself up for the worst. She's going to die. And that's it. She's going to die. Do not even give yourself the thought of that. If she could survive, she's going to die. And that's it. And so by this point, so we'd seen her, we'd gone back. Then they were like, we're going to transport her to um, ICU intensive care. And then by the evening time, the doctors called up for us for a meeting with her main doctor and the doctor sat there me and my brother on one side of the table my mum's family on the other and he starts going through he says okay so mum she looks actually quite stable and when he said that the 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 little bit of me or the big part of me earlier that was saying she's gonna die it kind of the ears pricked up a little bit I went uh what do you mean and so I was like okay and then he said, yeah, she's making progress. He said, what the plan is going forward, we will analyse her throughout the week and then by Thursday, we'll start to wean her off. So this is the Friday. So he's looking a week in advance. So we were like, oh, wow. he He's like, he's planning for the future. He said, if mum does survive this and she can survive without oxygen, she would probably be in a vegetation state. And I remember me just sort of brother just sort of looking at each other and it was quite weird because I feel like in that moment we both sort of decided that we wouldn't let it get to that we would not let our mum live a life in a vegetation state she would not want to live like that that's just not our mum so we kind of came I think we came to this like unwritten decision or unsaid decision we knew our mum we knew our mum and we that's not her yeah and then he turned around and he went and you never know miracles can happen and I was like I don't need miracles doc I was like I need statistics numbers so yeah, we said good night to mum um and we went home to our house where our little doggy was and bless him he had he had not a clue and it was that was that was even hard itself coming home and he was mum's baby pretty much a dog that Everybody had to be in the house before he could go to bed. Hmm. So when we all came home, he still stayed by the stairs. And that broke me because I, I could just see him sat there looking at the door in his little bed like, our mum's not home, where is she? My brother got up quite early to go to the hospital a little bit later. Because in my head still, though I was like, she's going to die. I thought, well, if we're in this for like a week... I need to get some like food shopping in. We need to be like prepared for at home. I need to sort dog care out. I was thinking like practical. So mm. I, I, we ran to Tesco to go and get some food and stuff like that. And then we were on our, on our way to the hospital. And on the way there, my, my phone starts ringing. And it was my sister-in-law and my partner. He picked it up. And I remember he couldn't even look at me. And he just went, he just went, yep, yep. Okay, bye. And hung up the phone. And he just, he carried on looking out the windshield. He, he wouldn't turn to look at me. And I, went, I was looking at him and I went, what's wrong? And I remember being like, oh God, she's died, she's died. I know she's died. And I remember I was just speeding it down in my little Ford KA, like the old version, like two wheeling it. <laughs> Got to Wexham, like just threw my car into a car parking space. And I'm running and running through this hospital. 
and I get to the the point where I have to turn left that takes you down to ICU and I turn left and I see my mum's sister, her father, my sister-in-law walking towards me and I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? And she's just shaking, she's shaking her head and she just goes, she's gone. I was so angry. I was just so angry. There was like the sadness and the anger were mixed into one. Mm -hmm. And I remember then just like bolting it through the waiting room and then into the family room where my brother was and just fell into his lap and just obviously crying and crying and crying. And so yeah, it turned out she had um, another heart attack that morning oh. and she was just she was just too weak and she just didn't survive it. And it was a very key point of the night before when I left her, um, gave her a kiss, gave her a hug, and she was still warm and I could still smell her hair like her hair shampoo and it's a moment it all smelled like cranberries so then when it was time for us to go in and see her and then I remember I touched her I touched her and she felt cold and I that's when I went oh my god and it was really settling in for me then she was obviously stone cold and then that wasn't the part that I was like shit yeah well she's dead so she's probably gonna be cold and then I went to go hug her and um her hair I my initial thought would be of uh, when I hug mum I smell her hair and I can I can smell it and I leant in and I couldn't smell it no more and that I just absolutely lost it and not being able to smell her I remember there's this the noise that came out of me um, just like this primal noise. Tell me kind of what, you know, what the next few months were like. Presumably you had the funeral and, and said your goodbyes properly. Mum always wanted to be buried uh, back in Norfolk, which is where she was um, like born and raised up into her 20s and she moved down down south. Um, she She always... That's the one thing with Mum's funeral. We always knew that she wanted to be to be buried um, with her mum, who died when her her mother, so my grandmother, died um, in childbirth after like two weeks after childbirth. So wow. Mum never knew her mum, but but there was always um, like a lot reserved on top of my grandmother's um, for my mum when she passed. So we had we actually had quite a big wait between her death and the funeral because we had to um, transport the body from down in Berkshire to um, East Anglia. So you had to wait for like a pickup and it was like three weeks. It was a very strange time because three weeks to wait for a funeral is, is a pretty lengthy time. Yeah. You can do a lot within three weeks. And so I went I went to back, back to work the, um, the week after and sort of, I say normal life, but like life started to to tick again so me and brother were both back at work we both like sort of hung out with friends a little bit nothing crazy but we were we were getting on with our lives but in the same time we were like our mum is still down in the chapel of rest down the roads <laughs> it was really strange I look back now and I think to that time I think I think that I thought I was grieving, mm. but I was like, nah, Amber, mate, like you've not even buried her yet. You need to get past this first. And then I think the absolute, the absolute show begins. And so, yes, then we, the funeral came 15th of July and it was a beautiful summer's day and it was a really good send off. And myself and my brother, we spoke and that was so, so hard, but 
I'm glad that we did it together and I'd have regretted if I didn't. They had the funeral and then we had the wake and the wake was lovely and it was a lovely celebration and many a drinks had. Then after that, it was, that was when it was like, oh, okay, what next? And and so I guess we should like go back to work and start being social and like there's no guide for this is there? there's no guide there's no handbook for grief is there amber no there's not and i was like i don't really know what to do and then it's the year of firsts so her birthday was in august and then it was going to be christmas and then it was going to be mother's day so in a way the first year is absolutely awful but you kind of I was basically looking for every opportunity to celebrate mum and to get people together to celebrate her and not forget her. So I very much had to grow up over those those couple of months. And it was hard because I would look to my peers and, and my friends and they didn't have to do any of that sort of stuff. And I felt I felt really robbed of my youth, like over the year and and the yeah. year after that, I felt really robbed of it. And then uh, sometimes I'd even be like, ugh, I say like angry at mum for dying. Because I'd be like, if you didn't die, I wouldn't have to be like this. And I thought I'd like go around doing the bloody food shop in Asda. And I'd be like, what other 19-year-old is doing bloody food shops I was just like this is just so unfair and I'm so angry at the world for this and that is how I lived my life for a good three years so angry at the world and everybody within it even the people that I loved and adored I was angry at them and I was falling out with people left right centre Grief seems to be the last taboo and people don't really know how to talk to you about it Yeah they don't they don't at all my mum would probably only really like get brought up when it was like her birthday, her anniversary. Mm. So like if I wanted to speak to my friends about my mum, I would almost want them to like guess that and like sort of I I thought I thought you mm. lot know me well enough and you knew my mum well enough as well that you should know you should be able to like read me like a book. And when they weren't asking the questions that I wanted them to, it would really infuriate me. But then as time has gone on, I'm like, Amber, they're not mind readers, yeah. Sometimes in life you have to you do have to lay it out for people and then and then you sort of like go from there. Yeah. But I was yeah, I was I wanted these people in my life to like mind read and just support me. Just I just wanted them to ask me about her and let's talk about her. And I was like, you don't understand. I was like, you are such a big connection for me. Like you knew my mum outside of her being my mum. You knew her as Sue. I want to know. I want to know Sue. I want to know her. I want to know what she was like when you were younger. So why are you denying me that? And that would be what really would upset me. Um, Mm Because all these people, there were connections to my mum, but they were so reluctant. Is it fair to say that you found it really difficult to grieve properly in those few years after her death because you couldn't, you know, find anyone to talk about shared experience with? Yeah, absolutely. It was it was so hard and especially like with my brother, I thought when she died, I thought, yeah, he's gonna we're gonna like get through this together. And like, you know, she's our mum. So you know, we've lost the same role model in our life, so surely. But we just did it differently. And I found myself in and like a depressive state and, and suicidal too. And I'd have these really dark, dark thoughts. And it was so unlike me and it was scary because I thought, I don't know what to do with this and I don't know how to shake it off. 
I tried therapy and unfortunately it didn't work for me. I, I did get paired up with, I think, a really rubbish therapist who was more uh, money orientated than she was <laughs> client orientated. And it just put a really stinking bad taste in my mouth. And I thought, nah, forget this. I'm not doing therapy. If, if that's how that is, I'm not doing it. Then I was like, that really, it cannot just be, okay, you have somebody die in your life, you go to therapy, and then you, you know, like, you're good. I was on a mission, basically, to still find help. And then me and my partner, we were going away uh, to Morocco, and um, I love podcasts. They're like my perfect escapism. Um, I love having them on the back when I'm cleaning in my car. I just love them. So whilst we're waiting there to board our plane, I thought, let me download some podcasts to listen to on the journey. And and then I thought, oh, hang on a minute. Let me let me just like search. Let me put grief into the search bar and let's just see what comes up. Like I wasn't, I did not expect anything or something like that. And so I put in grief and a good few podcasts came up. And I started listening to them and I was like, right, okay. And they're all fantastic but none of them are like young like me. And it wasn't me being like ageist or nothing, but I was like, I couldn't connect with them on the way that I was wanting to. I could completely relate to the things that they were saying, but I was like, I'm not, I'm not hearing like a young person, a young woman, especially speaking about what it is like to lose their mum at such a young age and then now navigate womanhood without it. So I was like, for how cool would it be if somebody like did that, like did something like like okay, a young audience and stuff like that? And I was like, mm. oh, okay. And then I kind of left it at that, and then it wouldn't let up. It kept chipping away at me, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I started thinking, okay, I'm gonna do a podcast about grief for like those who are young and bereaved, and or just hear from people who are young and bereaved and share it. And I was like okay let's just let's just do it but it was a light bulb moment because I was never really much of a problem solver like if I saw a problem I'd be like yeah that's someone else's job not mine and so when this thought came into my head like this creative thought I thought oh my god did I think of that that's mad and then it became obsessive and we were only on this holiday for like five days and I remember I just became obsessed with it within this holiday and I was thinking what shall I call it what will my premise be blah 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 and then by the time we came home, I had got name, a tagline, a sort of a vision for it. And then that is where the grief gang was born. And I came home, like I wanted to hit the ground running. It's very much been just like me and my partner um, in, in the background scenes, bless him. And... I said, okay, let's start an Instagram account then. And I, I put it, I put the page out towards my personal page of family and friends. And I was like, I'm just going to be sharing, you know, like my experience. Yeah. And I thought, I'm no writer. I'm no drawer. I was like, but I could chat for England. I was like, so <laughs> what better way putting that into a podcast and just brain dumping all the feelings in my head out into a mic and okay yeah if somebody else listens to it that's cool I was like but in a way for me it was almost like it was like my documentation of my journey and just seeing being able to look back and be like you got through that Amber you're gonna be okay 
But so it's like your own therapy in a way. Yeah, 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 yeah it yeah. really is. Like with, I'm literally my own therapist and my own client. It's like <laughs> I'm playing both the roles within the mic. And then, um, and then I was like, right, okay. And the first episode was just my story, literally like this, like from A to B. And then I put it out and I was like, the vulnerability that I felt when I hit that post button, Yeah, it was like I had just ripped my own heart out and just gone here everybody have a look at this wow yeah and I felt more nauseous at the thought of like my dad listening or my brother listening um just all like yeah my friends because this was an episode which I had delved into like I think nobody has ever heard me delve into it before and you were literally bearing your soul literally bearing my soul which is frightening yeah, yeah so frightening and I posted it and because I because it was so new like I knew that all my friends and family were listening to it like I didn't want them to feel bad mm. but then at the same time I needed them to know how I feel and do you think looking back Amber that that was when you put that first podcast out, that was when you, after three years, you finally started to grieve properly? Yeah, definitely. It was like, I I finally had found my outlet for my grief. Mm. I finally found my way to express it. And that's what I was struggling with those three years. I did not know how to express it or articulate what was going on in my head and my heart. And so then, therefore... I was coming out with in anger. I was frustrated with myself that I couldn't say it. And I didn't, I didn't know how to educate myself and be like, I, I couldn't understand what these feelings were. Like I'd be, I'd be so happy one minute and then like down the other. And I was like, what is this? I don't understand. And so I just started to communicate with more people within the online, like grief community. And I started then learning through them. And I started learning through different people and their different losses I started connecting with people who had lost, you know, fathers, siblings, partners, babies. And although we're all completely different losses, there's all something that we can learn from each other. Um, and yeah. I think I'm, I'm still on yeah. that. I'm still on that journey now of like, I still don't know how to articulate. But whenever I will speak to somebody, like on the podcast or on on the page or in, on a whatever it may be, when I leave them and I've had that conversation, I feel. I feel like richer for it. Mm. Can you explain what the reaction was like? Because you've now got a pretty huge following. It was never the goal. It's, it has it has never been the goal to be like have a big following on like Instagram or like loads of listeners. Because like I said, I just started it just wanted to talk about my mum and me and and I, I knew I always wanted to speak to other people as well. Whenever anybody messages me and just says, you know, like, thank, like, just the lovely messages from people. I, I think I'll cry three times a day from people's messages because they're just so kind and wow. so sweet. One How many followers have you got now, Amber? Oh, I think it's like 14 and a half or something like that. Yeah. Thousand. Yeah. Wow. And as you, as I think you told me, which really moved me, you called it the grief gang because it, it's a gang you never want to be a part of. Yeah, because it is. You yeah. are thrown into this gang and it is somewhere you don't want to be. You do not want to be here, but unfortunately you are. And so whenever somebody messages me, I always go, I'm so sad that you have to even be here in the first place mm. um, and how mm. you got here. I said, and I always say that, I said, but you're in good company, so don't worry. Looking back, do you 
think that since you started the podcast, you've possibly helped save lives. Thinking about how, you know, how dark your own life got. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it is, it's a tough one. Like when, because when I started the page, I didn't ever start it to be quote unquote responsible for people. Yeah. And to a degree, I'm not, but to a degree I am. As, as my community grows and the people, more people that are coming, I have a duty of care to the people who follow me and engage with my work that I am safeguarding them in my, in, you know, in within my community. I've had people borderline suicidal and, you know, some expressing just how they don't want to be here. They don't want to be without their person. And I say, I get that. I totally get that. And I'll have a conversation with them. Um, some people have even gone, give me your number. Let me call you. And I know it's so, yeah. it's parts of me, parts of me are like, oh, Amber, don't, don't blur the lines. But I'm like, no, cause you know what? These are people and, I don't do it all the time. Don't do it all the time. But I remember there was one person I just thought, I just need to speak to this person. I just need to speak to them. And we had a good chat, like a good, good chat. Yeah. Can can I just briefly ask you about, um, now Esther Ranson got in touch with you. She found out about your podcast, which is incredible. Yeah. Um, Tell me what happened there. Oh God, that was insane. (laughs) Like this past year, during this pandemic it's been absolutely insane like um and again it goes back to the double-edged swords of um these opportunities that come my way but then I'm like but this opportunity has only come my way because my mum died and I started a page in a podcast and it's it's so strange it's a weird one but yeah Esther Ronson it was um my god it was back in August last year and the tv production who was doing it with her uh reached out and said you know we're doing we're we're creating a bereavement documentary with Esther Ranson as the host. Um, you've been put on a radar. Would we just do like a quick interview with you? And I was like, oh, okay. I, yeah, I just yeah. jumped on this call with this um, lovely, lovely director and just had a chat and told her everything and what I've been doing and what I've been up to. And she was like, okay, okay. And then she recorded it, sent it to her director. And as director was like, love her want her and yeah Esther writes it was all virtual so Esther was at home and it was done through zoom and stuff and it was such a surreal day and then February 18th it aired and I sat there and I watched it with my my friends and my family and I thought I watched it and I was watching myself on the telly I was like that's me (laughs) and and then I was watching me (laughs) cry as well I spoke on like the really dark 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 times and watching me speak about that I was like wow just I even now I look back at that old amber of, of 2019 in the summer of my mental health I feel I look back at her and I don't I don't feel ashamed of her I feel proud of her but mm. then I feel so sad for her yeah. and then watching me on the telly talk about that amber I was like me oh my this was never in the plan but wow <laughs> yeah this is crazy how has grief changed you as a person oh grief has changed me in it's made me a huge empathetic person and i i feel things so deeply now and that used to really bother me before 
And like before my mum died, I was I was never like that. We would watch a movie and she'd cry and cry at it. And I'd be like, what are you crying at this for? And she'd be like, oh, you're so cold hearted, Amber. You're so cold hearted. And I was like, it's just a movie. It's not even real. <laughs> and then as time has gone on, I, I'm like that. I'm, I'm, I'm slowly becoming my mother. But I realise how much I feel things so much more deeply and how much... I actually really love that. I find joy in such like mundane things, but I feel like I've only got to that place because I know what real sadness is like. I know what real darkness is like. So, you know, you you can't appreciate the sunshine until, you know, you've come out the rain and I'm just like, no, my thing's like, just like the rubber dancing in the rain and just life ain't that bad. Life ain't that bad. Enjoy what you've got here love deeply love so so deeply and just and just be bloody kind what would your message be to other people going through what you've been through it's hard to say like you know oh find the joy in everything because I know there's times that even when you want to find the joy in everything it's really hard to sometimes you can't you really cannot even though you want to but knowing that this dark moment this dark time it doesn't last forever yeah i used to think i would never laugh again i would never i used to think i look at people in the street and i'd see them laughing and i go how can you even laugh my mum died actually this is the one thing i'll say for people that's like you might feel guilt for thinking i don't deserve happiness or like you know i shouldn't be feeling happy I don't deserve this. If there is any people who deserve happiness and the best things in life, it's those of us who have lost loved ones. It's those of us. So when it comes your way, don't push it away. Don't think you are not warranted for it. You absolutely are. And enjoy it. Enjoy those moments and bottle that feeling up. And when those dark days come in, then you know that that feeling, it has been there and it will come again. Amber, what do you think your mum would make of all this? Oh, God. (laughs) I think she... I know she's proud. I think she'd be like, yeah, go for it. I think she'd probably cry as well. And people say, you know, I've been asked before, what is your biggest, like, how do you keep your mum's memory alive? And I went, I go, you're joking me. I go, I've started a whole podcast around her. (laughs) Amber, thank you so, so much for your time. Oh, thank you for having me. This is such an honour. As you know, we do so much for British Heart Foundation and it's a charity so close to our heart. So the pleasure has been all mine. If you've been affected by any of the issues raised in this episode or are having suicidal thoughts, contact the Samaritans on 116123. If you've got any questions about your heart or circulatory health, call the BHF's Heart Helpline to speak with a nurse between 9 to 5 on Monday to Fridays on 0300 330 3311 or email hearthelpline at bhf.org.uk. You'll also find useful information in the episode notes and on our website bhf.org.uk. Amber's podcast, The Grief Gang, is available on Spotify and Apple. This has been Ruth Huntman for The Ticker Tapes.